American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James Boyman here, joined by Ryan Williams to bring you a preview of Everton's Saturday match against Manchester United. Ryan, how you feeling? I feel good, you know. Um, I think this one's got a lot of drama going into it, too. So I, I think we almost had to have a pre-match for this one, don't you think? Yeah, we really did. And just very briefly before we get into that, I did just want to give a quick plug to those who haven't seen yet. Ryan and I made our on-screen YouTube debut. We are going to be starting a weekly show news roundup on Toffee TV on YouTube. Uh, check our socials for the link. Uh, really exciting stuff. Looking forward to, I mean, if you enjoy listening to our voices, you will hate looking at our ugly faces. Speak for yourself there, buddy. No, <laughs> Although it's kind of like, it's like a face reveal for me a little bit. I mean, everyone has a chance to see you guys go to Goodison last year and all that stuff. Right. My face just isn't out there too often, but um, there it is, I guess. Until now, until now, folks. So <laughs> until check now. it out. Let us know what you think. We appreciate all the feedback. Video is definitely a new medium for us, so we are looking to improve as much as we possibly can. But switching back to the thing that we are officially certified pros at, which is podcasting, let's get into this match preview of Manchester United. So the immediate thing that jumps out was recent comments made by Carlo Ancelotti, where he stated that Everton should have a quote-unquote physical advantage over Manchester United at Goodison. Uh, given the fact that Ole Gunnar Skolshar's side played uh, on Tuesday night in a Champions League match, which they lost two to one to Istanbul Basaksehir, 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 what we have always said, but I mean, it kind of all flows together. Okay. My Turkish is not very good. Yeah, nor is mine, but you get the <laughs> gist. They lost to a Turkish team in the Champions League. <laughs> Istanbul. And They'll be playing just a few short days later, of course, against Everton, which is a 12.30 p.m. local time kickoff. And obviously, the, that fact is to Everton's advantage, having no European football this season. So some fresher legs. We also have, of course, a couple injury concerns still lingering. We've got James, who is expected to be back, hopefully returning from his rest he was given last week. Andre Gomez supposedly picked up a knock, which was why he was removed last week. And Seamus Coleman looking to be also uh, come down to the wire in a game time decision. But fortunately for Everton, we no longer have to worry about uh, Niels and Cuckoo's potential defensive liabilities as Luca Dean will be returning from his one match suspension for the red card. Ryan, over to you for a little recap on what Man U's been up to lately. Well, they've been playing a lot. I mean, Ole even asked for the game to be rescheduled. Uh, yes. The request was knocked back is what he said, which may be the first <laughs> time ever a big six team has been. No, uh, they haven't been playing very well. Clearly, there's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, he's come out and said he doesn't think he's being sacked. He thinks he's okay. Um the rumors of Mauricio Ponchettino are out there, and I, I just cannot imagine anyone in their right mind that wouldn't think that wouldn't be somewhat of an upgrade. I know Oli's one of theirs. I get it. Uh, Oli is at the wheel, but uh, certainly his track record and his experience is not the same, and Ponchettino really gets so much out of his team. I, I actually would love to see that combination. I don't wish for anyone to be sacked. I, I think Oli's a, 
a good guy. And, and I actually think Ole reads the game well and has some brains too, but clearly the team is not responding to him right now. And if you look at the form, really, I mean, the record isn't horrendous, but the performances have just have not been great. And uh, we'll get into that in a little detail. Clearly a loss versus back year. Two to one. I mean, the two goals were absolutely dreadful. One, I mean, literally no one marked anyone. Uh, Demba Ba just walked in there like he was all alone. I know. Unbelievable, right? 33 years old, completely by himself. No one marked him. And the other one, if I recall, was Juan Mata with a terrible giveaway, too. Um, And that's kind of how it's gone for them. I I went back and looked at literally all the goals that they conceded this year and so many mistakes, a couple own goals, just really kind of boneheaded stuff. And so talking about overall tactics, James, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see too much variability. Um, it seems like they play pretty much the same thing most games, I suppose, with the exception of the Arsenal game, correct? Yeah, yeah. So against Arsenal, they did switch things up a little bit and went with a 4-3-1-2, but it really didn't work well. Obviously, they lost that match 1-0 and were stymied basically the entire match. I mean, Arsenal, with their new additions, Thomas Party coming in, looked immense for them in in central defensive midfield, but they really struggled to create. And so they went back on Tuesday to the typical 4-2-3-1, which they play roughly 70% of the time. Um, They always play with a back four. You know that they've got a little bit of flexibility there. They've, of course, got Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who we'll talk about uh, in a little more detail later, but they've also got the addition of Alex Tellez coming in on the left flank. But it seems like he, I mean, he obviously had COVID, so that put him out of commission for a little bit. But Ole seems to have a, a decent amount of confidence in Luke Shaw, who, I mean, after he arrived from Southampton a few years ago, he's had his struggles for for United. But then they've got the central defensive partnership pretty consistently of Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof. Um, and then the midfield, they they do have some depth there, but consistently it seems like Ole favors Scott McTominay, Fred, of course, occasionally uh, Nemanja Matic. Paul Pogba is obviously a lock for that side in almost every situation. And then the guy who kind of makes them entirely tick, and that's Bruno Fernandes. And Marcus Rashford seems like he toggles back and forth from that left side or at the nine. Martial started and scored uh, midweek. Um, Dan James has played a lot to the left, too, if Rashford starts up top. But it's really, and, you know, Greenwood out to the right often. Sometimes Bruno's played out there. They have a lot of different pieces, but. I've got to admit the midfield is the one that's really, I think, tricky for me. I still don't understand the Van de Beek acquisition just because of the numbers. I think he's a decent right. player, but so I, I don't know if we're going to see him or not. But yeah, it's strange. I mean, in that four two three one, the challenge, I think, for them structurally is if you play McTominay and Fred in those two defensive mids, I mean, you're more stout, you're more solid. You're not very creative, though. Um, so Bruno kind of gets isolated. The problem is if you play Pogba's to one of those back two. Um, who do you play him with? And it just none of it seems to quite work. And I don't know if Van de Beek's really the guy in there to make a difference because he seems almost redundant as more of an attacking midfielder right. to Bruno. And if you play Bruno out out wide, I don't know if they can maintain the same structure. So I don't know. It'll be very interesting. Uh, I, I think. I think their style of play has, they simply have not been very dynamic this year. So getting into their attack first, I think is pretty interesting. They do have a lot of short passes. You know what I mean? They're similar to us in that way. They, they move the ball around a little bit, but I mean, almost no long passes. I think they're 19th in the league, uh, middle of the road for progressive passes as well, too. They're not that expansive. And the one thing that I cannot get out of my head is their attack. Their non-penalty expected goals for the whole season is 4.6. So think about that. This is Manchester United. That's 18th in the Premier League. 
Two of their nine have been PKs, which we know they draw a lot of penalties, deserved or not. Um, but really, their attack seems so very reliant on two main guys. Yeah, and those two guys are, are Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford. If you're looking at... Um, those are the guys that make the whole team tick. And in their last five matches, just to put it into a little bit of context, those two guys have taken 34 shots and the next five players combined have just 21. So you're looking at, that's where the bulk of their offense is coming from. Rashford is is the guy, I mean, he of course scored a, what is it, 27 minute hat trick against Leipzig, something like that. A ridiculous return. And, and he's going to be their guy that they're looking for. Martial is a really talented player who I like, but he's had his struggles at United and, and really hasn't gotten on, hasn't hit the ground running this season. Let's put it that way. Um, but what Rashford is really good at is really aggressive at taking players on. He looks to dribble. He leads their team in dribbles by a significant margin. And similar to Everton, they attack actually exactly like Everton. They attack down the left 42% of the time, which is the same percentage that we have. So you can expect them to utilize, whether it's Luke Shaw or Alex Tellez, they're going to be looking to use get those guys wide in a similar way to we that we use Luca Dean. Ping crosses into the box, but they're really not that effective at heading the ball. They're not that good in the air. And what's interesting about United is their distrib- shot distribution, the positions from which they take shots is really weird in that almost half of their shots come from outside of the box and they almost never score from inside the six yard box. So they're looking to score from range makes sense when you have a finisher like Fernandez, who we know is capable of of scoring from a lot of different positions and, and creating in that final third, he's really adept at that. Um, And he'll look to kind of linger around the edge of the box at times to, to play those key passes and and score. But um, yeah, those are the two guys that really make them tick. They've really struggled to get any kind of offensive production out of the rest of their squad. That's absolutely true. And you're waiting for someone like Paul Pogba to just come to life. He, he honestly, he has been really bad. Uh, just from a numbers standpoint, I, I literally just go in and look at his numbers this year compared to everything else across the board. Everything is down, including his ability to retain the ball. He's lost it. He's made bad decisions with it. He looks tentative. I hate to say it. Uh, some of these guys almost don't look interested or mm. just... They're confused or just they're not gelling at all. And, and I will say this. I don't know what you do if you don't play Tom and, and Fred in the back. I actually really like Fred. He covers a tremendous amount of ground. But the bottom line is those two guys holding the ball and kind of supporting their attack are so critical because if it goes back the other way, the middle of that defense, they're not playing confidently and and they're not the quickest to. And, and looking at their defense just all around, I think they suffer from the fact that Bruno and Paul Pogba tend to roam a little bit. You know, mm. they're not the most intense defensive players. And if you look at the numbers, I mean, they're ninth in challenge intensity. That's, you know, fouls and tackles and stuff per minute. A uh, ninth in um, PPDA, which is uh, possession for defensive actions, meaning as how many times, you know, they're active in terms of pressuring within like the middle of the field and stuff. They're eighth in fouls. They're not overly aggressive. They just don't put a tremendous amount of pressure on other teams, but other teams have have pressured them. But I mean, they're I mean, we we don't have you know, we haven't done a lot of pressure and stuff, too. But I mean, they just don't have a tremendous amount of defensive stalwarts up top. Now, they're back four. I mean, Luke Shaw, I think, is an underrated defensive player. Juan Basaka, we know, is a total beast on the right. And the guys in the middle are great in the air, but really it's that soft underbelly. And if Pogba and Bruno are kind of wandering around and Rashford likes to roam and come back to the ball too a lot if he's on the left side, they're certainly open to hit back. And they're a sound defensive side, but 
there's definitely opportunities to exploit them. Um, but our strength is down the left side. I don't know how well that would fare because Juan Bissaka is a pretty good defensive player. He, in my opinion, is is one of the best on-ball defenders in the Premier League. I mean, when he broke onto the scene at Crystal Palace, it was just his his days at that club were numbered and no disrespect to them. But it was clear that one of the, the top clubs were going to come in for him because he just knows how to lock guys down. He doesn't get beat very often off the dribble. He's a tackling and interception machine at like 4.6 tackles and interceptions per 90 minutes, which is really impressive. And we talked about, you know, he doesn't have to necessarily carry too much of the burden on the offensive side of the ball because they use the left. So he's given that license to just maybe sit back a little bit further. They'll still use him to provide width, but he will just be able to kind of lock down and, and knowing that our strength is is going down the left as it is for many teams. I think that presents a difficult problem for Everton because where we found success this year is, of course, with James dropping centrally or, or to the right and switches over to the left side and getting into the box that way. And we'll talk about lineup predictions and how we might circumvent that that problem for United. But just don't seem to be really responding to Ole anymore. And of course, he had this huge boost when he came in. And I was actually reading an article in The Athletic earlier this week about how Ole put together this plan after those first few games about how to, you know, reinvigorate the culture of Manchester United and do all these things. And Ed Woodward, as he is inclined to do with managers, became kind of enamored with the vision that he was being presented. But it's really hard to look past the lack of experience for Ole. And you have to think that at a club of Manchester United size, they continue to get it wrong time after time post the era of Sir Alex Ferguson. And the thing is with with that club you just none of those managers that have come in in his wake have been given enough time to really construct a project but you look at the money they've spent you look at the personnel and and you just there has to be some kind of better return but no manager has it seems like time after time the players really tend to throw the manager under the bus in a lot of ways in my opinion it's a tough gig there's no yeah. question about that it's pressure cooker i think the hiring of oli made some sense in the fact that he was one of their own yeah. You know, that pressure cooker didn't exist as much for him. And I think that the fan base themselves seem to, and I don't want to mischaracterize the Manchester United fan base, one that I actually do have a lot of respect for, seem to kind of give him some rope. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I, I don't know how angry or frustrated the fans are about him, but the results have not been great. And, and I can't help but think a loss against Everton and their position in the table coming off a loss in the Champions League, um, or pardon me, in, in, in Europe, that, that's a big deal to me. Um, so lineup predictions, I think, is fascinating because Manchester United has a massive roster and um, a lot of different people that can play different ways. I'm going to guess that Fred's going to play. He didn't play against uh, Istanbul this week. I'm going to assume he's going to be in there. Dan James didn't play either. He's played left a majority of the games in the Premier League. And Rashford, I could assume, go up top. I guess they could go with Martial. I'd be shocked if they played like Cavani. Hollow hasn't played at all, but who knows? I, I, can't, I can't imagine Bruno wouldn't play, but I suppose it's possible he could play out maybe to the right. And and Donny Vanby could be in there because they played very well last time he really started. Greenwood typically is on the right. I, I just see Fred McTominay in the middle, but the one thing I, I just... If they're going to play Pogba and Bruno, I think there's opportunities in the middle there for us to counter. But I'm fascinated in how they're going to line up, really. Um, Everton, I think, is, is for us, it's just a matter of who's healthy, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we mentioned at the top of the show, it seems like the assumption going right now and at the time of recording, it's Thursday evening uh, stateside. So by the time you're hearing this, it may be that Carlo already had his presser of uh, Friday before the match and will have announced this. But James seems to be a presumed go for this weekend. And Coleman seems like kind of a coin flip. I mean, every indication has been that he's been on the right path to return to, to action for the last couple of weeks. So we know what a struggle the right back position has been for us in his absence. So I truly, truly hope that Coleman is fit because he really immediately provides us that that defensive solidity on, on the right-hand side. And we know we're going to be defending quite a bit on that side. And then it, even something as simple as the formation comes into question, do we stick with the Xmas tree, Christmas tree experiment from last weekend, or do we revert back to what we've been successful with in the 4-3-3 with Hamez sort of dipping into that half space off the right-hand flank, Ryan? What do you think? So, you know, going back and looking at some of their previous matches this year, Chelsea, Arsenal, even Brighton, they, they were very effective shutting down Manchester United's attack with three four two ones, which I find very interesting um, because those clubs don't necessarily always play that uh, Brighton more often than not. But the other two don't. Tottenham killed him with a four three three. But, you know, I, I don't that there was a lot of strange elements to that match. Uh, Manchester United killed Leipzig. Leipzig came out in a four two three one and tried to pressure him as they always do and go right down the middle. Um, and they did really well against Paris Saint-Germain's 4-2-3-1. So to me, I, mm. I, I actually would be tempted to play the Christmas tree again. I, I just think that there's an opportunity to outnumber them in the midfield and, and head right down the middle. You're right in the fact that they like to attack left. I think part of that, though, may be the combination of Shaw and Rashford. And if Coleman's healthy right. and DeCorey maybe can shade over there, I think that would free... Whoever our left midfielder is going to be, assuming Andre's not in there, which I think is still a big question, I think they can handle that side and give Hamez at least some opportunity to help a transition, even if he's sitting a little deeper. And if they want to fire crosses in the middle all day, feel free, because they really don't have a great aerial threat in attack. And, I mean, that's Yeri and, and Michael Keane's bread and butter. So, yeah, I would actually probably try and play a little more narrow and do the Christmas tree. But if you're going to do that, you got to have more dynamic guys up front. We cannot have, I mean, Andre's probably going to be out. But even if he is, I do not want to see Gilfie Sigurdsson in any one of those positions playing behind the striker. Not at all. I, I would have no problem with Delph being the third guy in the back. But you got to have some guys like Bernard, Gordon, Awobi down the middle to try and take advantage of that soft L underbelly yes i said a wobi i know i know i know but he is a high risk type guy that can play it behind very big and strong center backs and you know catch hopefully catch dcl running behind them as much as we want to fire him crosses and of course that's going to happen potentially i, I think our better bet is still to kind of play it behind him um i don't know what your thoughts are i think there's some really key matchups too uh almost in every case yeah, it'll be the, the matchups. I mean, first of all, what United do is going to be fascinating. And we've thrown out some some speculative guesses. But at the end of the day, any team that's coming off a midweek European match is going to have to do some some degree of squad rotation, you would Definitely. think. And they do have guys like, like Van de Beek has not really been given a proper run. I think I suspect we might see Alex Tellez. And he seems like probably the only signing for them that really made sense this summer. They've been widely panned for their summer transfer business, to, to put it kindly. 
um, a couple of their standard. But matchup-wise, formation-wise, I'm inclined to agree with you, Ryan. In the absence of Richarlison on that left-hand wing, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to try to play someone like Alex Wobi. You could argue... And actually, I think this is a reasonable take to play someone like Anthony Gordon on that left-hand side, someone who's more direct, and finally give him his opportunity, which I think is a little bit overdue. There's been that debate's been raging, but I think in the Christmas tree, what we could see is again Alex Awobi at one attacking midfield position, and then maybe someone like Bernard. We talked about it on the post-match show. Alex Awobi, we know that when he plays for Nigeria, he plays in that cam role, definitely more centrally than he yep. would be in a Christmas tree, but in the half spaces where he thrives, he's not going to beat people for pace very often. He's not going to be that type of direct runner that we would want, like a Richarlison. So use him in a position that you can get the best out of him, and that would be in that half space, looking to make key passes through balls, through to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who can run in behind, or Luca Dean overlapping on the wing, and then you're kind of in business, in my opinion. I think he's a matchup problem for them in the middle, if Fred, who has some pace, or McTominay aren't both in there, I, I think it creates a problem. And if anything, it could pin him back a little deeper. I mean, the center backs are going to have enough trouble dealing with Dom the whole time. I like that matchup. Right. You're right. Alex is not going to blow by someone, but he is going to be active with the ball and he's tough to handle. And I think I think if we play 4-3-3, I can see Gordon playing out left, although I still yeah. like him off the bench against tired legs because of his pace. And I don't know how much we want to indoctrinate him into Aaron Wan-Bissaka right from the get-go. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's even necessary. I just think their middle is what's what's to be taken advantage of, for me at least. Um, but yeah, it'll be very... I, I think I think what to look for, I think the biggest signs to watch really is, is if they come out, man, you looking tired. Um, or maybe even looking unmotivated with a sense of resignation. And uh, things have not gone well for them. They've had trouble creating things. And I, I think I think this is a massive opportunity for some Everton players that maybe Carlo has not picked. I, I think there's opportunity. I, if Gordon doesn't start, I'd love to see him come off the bench, use his pace. Um, and I, I still, of course, I want to see another opportunity w- for Bernard and Alex Awobi to get in there and play with some support behind them so they can loosen up and be creative. I don't know. That's my take. It, but I, I really think the drama and all the pressures on Manchester United would be very interesting to see how they come out. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly before we move on, you're right that there is, I think the pressure is is firmly on United, but let's not kid ourselves. Everton are coming off back-to-back losses. So there is certain amount of, of I think, curiosity maybe from the fan base or apprehension about can we turn this around? Do we have, we haven't forgotten the past three seasons, but past 20 years, yeah. even where the team has, has re- struggled to respond to adversity. And so ha- what personnel Carlo uses, does he stick with largely what we've, we've gone with so far and expect those players to turn things around? Does he switch things up to try to get a different kind of response? See how, how players respond to be giving, be given different opportunities. Honestly, we need to attack these guys. I, I really feel like they yeah. are right for the taking. They, they don't pose tremendous threats to us. I don't think. And that's why I think when we talk about keys to victory, because I think this is a match that we can win probably more so than even I'd say the Southampton match in terms of matchups, to me, the biggest key to victory is they've got two guys, two main creative outlets. You said Rashford is the one guy that beats people off the dribble. No one else beats anyone off the dribble. I, I think the key to Rashford in particular, and I, I think he's probably the hardest one to stop because of his movement. He comes back to the ball a lot. He gets open, and, and I think him and Shaw make a nice combo. You got to be physical with them. Arsenal, honestly, beat the daylights out of them. They fouled him three times. They ran him over several times. 
he doesn't necessarily deal with physical play all that well. I would love to see Sheamus in there healthy, trying to bottle him much in the same way as he did a couple matches ago against Sadio Mane. I think he's the right matchup, and DeCorey kind of shading over there, I think, can help him with that. And our transition game, too, I think would be key off of that if we can stuff him and then Bruno Fernandes. I mean, we've seen how deadly he is getting into space and one-touch shot passes. He's constantly taking chances. He he rarely doesn't try and make something happen. That being said, it gets him out of position sometimes. He can be exposed. He will turn the ball over. It's just a matter of how we can counter as well as wear those guys out up top because Bruno played, I think, 90 minutes this week, did he not? And he only finally had a rest um, about a week ago when they brought in Vandebeek. So unless they're going to do that again, uh, I think he's someone that you got to get on and, and make sure he doesn't get those one touches and make him run and work. Um, I think that's very important, at least for me. Those are my my top two, but there's certainly some other ones as well. Yeah, and just quickly on, on Bruno Fernandez, I mean, we've kind of been been raving about him, but to your point, he, I think he will be tired, but he is the guy that makes their whole team tick. I mean, when he came in last season, he revolutionized United. There's a reason he got in almost or the vast majority of teams of the season, even though he was only there for like 10 games or something like that. So he's a hugely influential player. You freeze him out and then you, as you said, you you shut Rashford down. Don't let him get into space. Don't let him get in behind. Maybe get a couple early clean fouls in. I want to emphasize the clean because we're developing maybe a little bit of a reputation. We're not trying to injure him, but, but you know, let him know that we're there and, and get on his back and, and don't let him roll us or anything like that. And then the other thing is, like we said, they don't pressure. So we don't have to really try to do too much. I think we can be patient. We want to get at them and we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be standoffish in any, in any sense, but we also want to put them under pressure and make them uncomfortable. And I think, you know, going through the middle, as you said, if we end up with the Christmas tree, we do have the kind of bodies that if we can get to Corey running at them, their, their midfield is, is, a little bit suspect on the defensive side of the ball and it will depend what their personnel is. But I mean, I like Scott McTominay, but I, I don't think he's necessarily the greatest on ball defender. He can get a little bit out of control at times. And I mean, if, if they turn the ball over, we've got to hit them quick because they've, like we said, they've got tired legs and they're guys who are going to be looking to get forward a bit more that we can catch them out. I totally agree. I think we can have success in the half spaces. I think we can get those two defensive midfielders to spread out, open up the middle and run people in between them. What what I would really look for us to do is I want to see, we haven't seen this much. I want to see more of the transition game from Decore. I want to see him mm. back and forth. You know what I mean? I want to see him arriving late and cutting through the middle of midfield. And I'd like to see some physical dominance. Uh, I, I just, if they play Fred and McTominay, that's a tough duo in the back. I mean, Fred's a little guy, but he's very active. But the other guys, we should shut them down for sure. But yes, we need better transition game. We need better hold up play to get those midfielders involved and and for us not to get hit back on the break too. I, I'm confident in this game. I think we're going to come in and make a good game of it. I'm looking forward to it. It's nice and early. So yes. I feel very bad for our West Coast brethren as we normally do. We see these start times. But yeah, and uh, obviously we'll get into score predictions and other things on our Discord server, so we won't reveal that now. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this one. I, I think I think there's opportunity here, um, and I'd like to see us, assuming that we are healthy, 
take opportunity here and let's kill that ridiculous stat out there where we can't win a game without Richarlison. Amen to that, Ryan. And as as he said, do join our Discord if you're interested. Come on down. The link is in. The, come on down. Even if you're not interested, join, <laughs> check it out. Right. You may you may find uh, that there's some pretty good conversation on there because I think there really truly is. Um, and it did, so the link to that is invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise, of course, as always, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on social media uh, at USA Toffee Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And until next time, we'll be with you guys post-match to dissect all of the action on Saturday. But until then, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.